My name's Luke. Warren's calling right now. Hang on, mate. Just got to put the speaker on and turn you up. Are you turn there? me on. Turn you on. Turn me on. Oh, shit, oh. eh? Fucking hell. What a fucking mess, Luke. Yeah, fucking fuck. What a fucking mess, fuck. mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, let it all out, okay, buddy? Just let it all out. You know what? I, I'm rushing around like a madman tonight trying to get my homework done, right? And it okay. really, you know, for the podcast, getting all my notes in order and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. it really took me back to my school days because <laughs> I would pretty much leave everything to the last minute back then as well and uh, yeah. then yep. rush around like a madman going, oh, my God, you know, got to get my homework done. But that, I, up until probably about year 10... And then after that, I didn't give as much of a fuck, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, what about you? Yeah, same thing, mate. Well, what I found, I was, I was concentrating on new things rather than what I knew we were going to be talking about. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. rather than just trying maybe to focus on the job at hand, start getting a bit carried away with, with other things. But, look... I don't think we're going to try and kid anyone by suggesting that we'd be organised. No. So let's not try and, you know, falsify any any facts about us. What are we... Uh, we're what fucking are we, useless. What are we talking about tonight, Big Was? <laughs> yeah. What, oh, sorry. What are we talking yeah, about yeah, tonight? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are well, we talking about, the, Look, after the very sad passing of uh, Eddie Van Halen last week, uh, we thought we would talk about other musicians and artists like that that have left us too soon. Yeah, I think it's a it's a, a nice topic, but it's a sad topic. It's a sad topic, but I think at the same time, hopefully we can look at these things with a, not a positive spin, but to, to look at what they, they put out there in their life, their creative output, sort of celebrate that part of it. And yeah, it's sad that they, they were robbed of the rest of their life for whatever reason that was, but yeah, to see what a rich uh, kind of mark they made on history. Yeah, that's right. I think it's uh, – I'm almost thinking we do a part two. What do you reckon? Well, I, I was starting to think, like I was just talking to my beloved then, and there's clearly, you know, we're going to look at certain – we're going to favour certain artists that there's we so many, care so many. about. Yeah, and sadly, there there is so many that, that tend to – not be here until their old age, I suppose. So, yeah, why not, eh? What do you think? Um, 
I mean, you know, some some do live to a ripe old age, which is great. But of course, but yes. what do you? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's all different cases and all different reasons and all that kind of thing. But yeah. what, say say the Twenty Seven Club, the infamous Twenty Seven Club, where so many musicians have died at that age. What do you think it is? Like, what do you? Because I've got my theory. What do you? What do you think okay. it is, though? Okay, well, just off the cuff, <laughs> I, I think in some ways uh, it's kind of like a creative, there's a creative flame or something. Yeah. And these people are so, they're so creative or they're so prolific and it, it comes in such a burst, it's almost unexpected to even them. So it's this surge of uh, recognition, surge of fame, surge of respect from people and uh, also, their output might go up or become more varied and be appreciated by a lot more people. It's almost like it it burns faster and hotter and higher, and it's like they can't necessarily cope with it. Maybe, yeah, like maybe okay. they're not inherently built for that for that level of. Uh, that rise because I mean now at this age that we are I look at 27 I see it's it's pretty young still it is yeah and so to have to, for somebody that's maybe been kind of shot into the spotlight it would seem like a massive shock to the system right maybe working for years to kind of build up that following or even I guess relatively steadily build it but if they shoot to fame I can imagine it would be really hard to deal with in, in some cases yeah, I think it's What's very, your it's very similar to mine. I, I sort of think you know they would have been in high school, always sort of had a, a natural knack for for music, and always yeah. loved music, and then would have formed a few bands here and there, and all that kind of thing, or, or pushed forward by themselves as a solo act or whatever. Yeah. But being involved in music from a very young age, and then you know bit by bit they started to get some notoriety, some 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 fame, some money, um, some recognition for what they were doing, and their you yeah. know their creative outlet was just booming. And as you say, they sort of skyrocket um, pretty quickly, sort of maybe in their early twenties, mid twenties, and yeah. then I reckon they might um, get to a point where it's almost like I think it's a combination of possibly overindulging. And going, wow, yes. this is the rock and roll lifestyle. I'm just going to have fun and go party out like it's there's no tomorrow. Uh, excuse the pun. But, um, you know, yes. a, a, a mix of that, but also possibly a bit of a flat spot where they go, I've I've hit the stars. And what's How next? How can this get any better than here? Yeah, what's next? Oh, yeah. you know what? Maybe I'll have a snort of cocaine and that will give me my next buzz, you know? And yes. then suddenly it starts to spiral and then... You know, they overdo it because I think a lot of, and I'm not saying every musician, of course, but I think a lot of creative people um, uh, live in excess, you know, not not necessarily with money and things, but they yeah. they need to go all out with something or not at all, you know, and when it's, yeah. the, when it's the not at all, they might kind of crash in that regard, you know? And I think, um, and I think actually you made a very good point because, I mean, obviously it's not a case of, they're all purposely uh, dying, no, that's you know, right. or ending themselves. So yeah. A lot of them, it is from excess uh, and accidents like that from that lifestyle. But, yeah, I think in, in other cases too, it's because some of them feel like, uh, I think like Kurt Cobain, for example, just to touch on briefly, I think he was he was really struggled a lot with the artistic element of it. Like I think people should have he wanted people to see 
him as an artist. Yeah. And, like, you know, I don't care about being famous. I don't want them to just be jumping up and down like puppets mimicking the song. I want them to appreciate the art or something. It's almost like he was this really, really frustrated artist, whereas he just wanted to be understood and, and maybe have some of his art appreciate but also maybe a perfectionist too never quite found it i don't know but i think i think the thing is with kurt cobain i think you're exactly right but then you know he should have chosen his audience then because and i don't mean any disrespect by this but he was he was um speaking through his music to the teenage angst you know, and what did he think? Yeah. What did he think they were really going to be in tune with his lyrics? Because uh, I certainly wasn't. I, I more so uh, when I got older, I started to really listen to what he was saying. You know, the words behind the words kind of thing. But yeah. but when you know, when I'm listening to In Utero, the album In Utero, I'm just thrashing. I'm just you know moshing around with my mates and <laughs> jumping up and down. So. So I, I guess in a way he was his own kind of worst enemy, you know, and yeah. I, I've, I've read a fair bit on Kurt Cobain and it does seem like, and again, no disrespect because he, he, he is and was a legend, but it kind of reads like he really wanted his music to go to the masses once it did. He wasn't so happy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and you go, no, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too, mate. You know, like, fuck. And I remember reading something, and obviously, like, Dave Grohl, um, it was he was one of his best friends, the, the, the yeah. front man from Foo Fighters now, and the drummer from Nirvana. But um, even he, uh, I can't remember where I read it now, in a book or an article, but even he sort of suggested that it was he was hard to work with because – all Dave wanted to do was play fucking drums and rock yeah. out, you know, and have fun yeah. when he's got, you know, the lead singer and the guitarist sort of, uh, you know, spiralling into this weird kind of depression. And obviously he had his uh, severe stomach pains and he was he was self-medicating and all that kind yeah. of thing. But Dave Grohl tells a story where he would rock up to, like, you know, record some music and Kurt Cobain was a no-show. Like again yeah. and again and again, it was just like fuck. Come on, man! Like let's play some music, you know? Yeah, Sad. I guess there's the the, people, the musicians that are driven by the music. They're driven by it. Like they just yeah. have to make music. And then there's yeah, I guess that's more twisted and misunderstood artist type. Yeah, that uh, really yeah. struggle with the actual art itself too. But I mean, he was. I mean, my hat goes off to him. He was definitely ahead of his time. He was incredibly unique. I mean, down to how he even played the guitar was was unique. And yeah. he, you know, he was the godfather of grunge. So yes, you had these other up and comers like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and stuff like that. But really, when you think grunge, you think Nirvana. You know, and uh, he was the head of that whole genre, which was pretty fucking cool. I think in, in its own sad way, and we might have even discussed this before, is that when someone is essentially frozen in time like that, they then become the figurehead. I mean, he already yeah. was yeah. to a lot of degrees, but in amongst a massive slew of grunge yeah. um, artists and musicians, and, and people would argue, say, Iggy Pop is the godfather of grunge, and they'd say, you know, the Melvins and Pearl Jam and all these other artists that came into that movement are still huge. And I think because Kurt Cobain had that tragic early end, we never got to see just how far Nirvana could go in that space of time. Yeah. So you've got those few snapshots of gold 
and that's where it stops. And I guess in some ways that's not perfect, but, you know, that's how people can now remember it for eternity. Yeah, that's right. Is yeah, it? and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that is why it became such a, a cult uh, figure. Isn't it funny how, like, he was very much anti the establishment, but then now his music, you hear it on the, all the commercial channels. Like, it's very yes. over, like, Smells Like Teen Spirit is overly played in a very commercial way with ads about fucking tires and bras in between, you know, like all sorts <laughs> of stuff. And it, it, you sort of go, ah, like, uh, like, I don't listen to any of those radio stations and I no. just sort of think, fuck that. Like, if I'm going to listen to Nirvana, I'm going to choose to and I'm going to put a CD on uh, and and listen to it my <laughs> way, not not through these commercial channels, you know. Because I... Cause not, not, <laughs> not because I'm like sort of anti-establishment myself, but because I'm sort of, I don't know, I'm sort of paying homage to the band and the roots of the band. And yeah, maybe I'm just getting fucking old as well. Yeah, I think I'd prefer to listen to it as a focused decision. Because like, I was just thinking about it tonight too while I was reading a little bit about some of the chosen artists. And, and I was like, oh yeah, I should have a listen to that actually. And, yeah. You know, it's often in the car uh, and just... Yeah, selecting the album and just listening, just I, going through it and listening. I guess what I'm saying, I just, <laughs> I just don't like the, uh, you know, like the typical radio, like, hey, thanks to Larry in the sky for the traffic report. Now let's hear yeah. some Nirvana <laughs> with Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> we had a request from Luke. He's uh, requested Smells Like Teen Spirit. Great song choice, Luke, and nice new song. <laughs> I love the rhythm of the drums in this one. <laughs> like you just go, no. <laughs> I, I would never listen to a radio show hosted by that kind of voice. What about if it was me, Warren? I was a radio host talking like that. You didn't talk like that at all. Yeah, but what if I chose to talk like that? Wouldn't you support me in my would career? I would do it to be polite to you. <laughs> big shout out to Big do. Was out there. He's a great friend of mine. <laughs> Very quietly on the side, I'd say, look, mate, I, I enjoy the content. I enjoy the music. Um, if I could just make one small suggestion. Lose the fucking voice! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's go to a very short break. Actually, we've got a new sponsorship. Um, uh, the oh, yeah. Enema Mechanic. Would you like to explain uh, the sponsorship, Warren? We were talking about uh, enemas. Enemas came up uh, the other week. <laughs> we were discussing uh, medical procedures and things, and yeah, enemas have been around a long time. We got talking about coffee enemas and something that I've seen not far from here. And it turns out Barry, the the enema mechanic, um, has his own little business, and we just wanted to give him a spruik. Does your bowel need a blowout? Yeah. Does your rectum need a reset? Why, yes, it do. Does your pooper need to feel super? Good golly, yes. Well, then get yourself over to the Enema Mechanic today. Barry Prunet has over 40 years' experience in colon cleansing and fast fixes to rectify your reluctant rump. With hundreds of satisfied customers and a veritable gastric flood of testimonials praising Barry's work ethic and attention to the dirty details, you needn't worry about a thing. Just lay back and let the enema mechanic get to work. With his patent-pending coffee granule blasting technique, you'll be blown away. Visit the enema mechanic today. Enema mechanic is not responsible for any injuries incurred while in treatment. 
And we're back in. I'm actually quite excited. Uh, well, not I'm not excited to talk about the death part. Like, I mean, you know, they died. Um, but I don't know. I feel like this is kind of a cool subject to, to cover. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Actually, um, just looking into some of the people that, you know, I respect that have, that have sadly left the world. Uh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And I think when you said maybe a part two is in order, yeah, I agree. And I think... Um, it's one of those things where you could you could spend a whole episode talking about one person. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, but uh, in our own unforgettable style, Luke, we're going to uh, <laughs> just flip flopping back and forth, face slapping, ass pinching fashion, tea bagging. Oh, definitely tea bagging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'll start, and I'll start with um, the Prince of Soul. Do you know who that was? That'd be uh, that'd be big was, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, close, close. He's the prince of hole, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm talking about uh, Marvin Gaye. Oh, yep. No worries. Yeah, yeah. Great singer, songwriter. Um, he also, I didn't know this, but he also played um, keyboards, guitars, and drums as well. Really? So quite the uh, the skillful musician. Yeah, that's right. Um, he uh, he basically sculpted, helped sculpt. The sound of Motown, the Motown genre, which I've always enjoyed. The Motown genre. I, mum, dad grew. I, I grew up with mum, dad playing all sorts of uh, different types of music um, from the fifties, sixties, and seventies. And Motown was not one that dad would put on all the time, but when he did, yeah. even as a little tacker sitting on the floor playing my Legos or whatever, I'd be tapping away and listening to. Some great music, some fantastic music that came out of that that genre. Um, so sorry, um, could you could you sort of explain Motown as a style to me? So Motown, it's basically soul music, um, but it's got a bit of a oh, how do you explain it? It's actually got more of a a, a jazzy kind of uplift to it. Um, for instance, like a Marvin Gaye song. Um, no man and high enough. <laughs> so it's lo- usually a little bit more like you've got soul, which can be um, quite dark at times and quite sad and somber. But Motown kind of lifts it up and makes it like uh, a little bit like you can dance to it a lot more. You know what I mean? Go- it sounds gospel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, a uh, gospel element comes into it, um, but it's it's okay. it's more of a yeah. That's probably the best way I can describe it. It's it's more of an uplifting kind of um, musical tempo. You know, like it's not uh, it's not too sad. There are some sadder songs, but it's not it doesn't really uh, linger there for too long. It's more like so. Think like the Temptations. You know them. Yep. yep. I do my girl and stuff like that. Um, yeah, like you know they've got that sort of uplifting melody and beat to it yeah that's probably the best way to explain it but um so marvin gay uh the day before he turned uh, so he's got other songs like sexual healing that came out in the early 80s you know that song yeah yeah of course um that's the only song he ever won a grammy award for believe it or not. what's that sorry one of the ones we sing to each other isn't it um yeah off the uh off the podcast though warren <laughs> and he also did uh, How sweet it is to be loved by you um, But yeah, the day before he turned 45 in 1984 April Fool's Day actually um, His mum and dad were having a bit of a rip roarder of an argument And he intervened And his dad shot him twice and killed him 
His dad shot him. His dad shot him. Now, his dad, uh, his dad's background was in the ministry, of all things. He was a bit of a preacher man. Um, so you could say Marvin Gaye was son of a preacher man. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was shot twice by his dad and died, sadly. That's, that's actually really sad, isn't it? Given, it is, yeah. Like, also, given the style of the music and that kind of, yeah, like you said, that up, uplifting kind of beats and the, the way that he sang and everything, it's kind of sad that that was the end. Yeah, and I, I, I might even do a little bit more research because I'm intrigued to find out what the argument was about, you know, like what was so bad that it got to that point and you know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't find anything tonight while I was quickly doing my research. So I wouldn't mind sort of doing a bit more investigating and seeing what was it all about? Like why the fuck? And then his dad got a um, a six-year uh, suspended sense- sentence for voluntary manslaughter um, and he ended up dying the same year, October uh, of the same year. But um, yeah, very tragic, very tragic, you know. Did they disagree over if there was, in fact, a mountain high enough? Yeah, and obviously it wasn't quite sweet enough, you know. So, um, And there was certainly no sexual healing going on with the family members. So who knows? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. That's another song title of his. What's going on? <laughs> well, that's very sad. Actually, I'd be keen to know a bit more, too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wanted to include that one uh, for tonight because I'm I'm a big fan of Marvin Gaye, but also um, I had a feeling you wouldn't have known the the tragic end to him. And and you know, obviously, there's lots of musicians out there that have died from overdoses and and suicide even, uh, but and and ac- car accidents and that kind of thing too. But yeah, getting shot by your dad has got to be fairly unique. Yeah. I know my dad's wanted to shoot me many, many times, but he's always restrained himself. (laughs) Well, he's been waiting for you to to make it big in the music world before. Yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, All right, over to you, Big Walls. Who have you got for me? Okay, mate. Well, I thought I'd talk about Mr. Dimebag Daryl. Oh, yeah. That was uh, a very rock and roll way to go, but I'll let you explain. What? It is, but very, very sad. So, Dimebag Daryl is, for, for those of you who don't know, um, was the guitarist for uh, Pantera uh, for many years. So, he formed the band originally with uh, Rex Brown, the bassist, and his brother, Vinnie Paul. Great fucking uh, band. Yeah, in the early 80s. And they actually did a couple of albums uh, with a different vocalist, and they were, all, they were more glam back yeah, then as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Have, you, have you heard their earlier stuff? I've heard a little bit of it, and I actually heard a cover of um, Paranoid that they did. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's it was actually a really good description. <laughs> but does it, but it doesn't sound like the Pantera that we know, though, does it? Not at all. No, and I think that was the thing that was so weird about it. But you could hear the tone, <laughs> yeah. the guitar tone. Oh, okay, yeah, yep. It was totally different. And, you know, the overall vibe was very different, but that tone was there. There was a certain crunch that he was able to kind of characterise and make his own. And you could hear it there at the very start. So they, they had these couple of albums that were more in the glam um, genre. And then when Phil Anselmo joined in the later 80s, they had another one on, I think, a different label. And then they did Cowboys from Hell. Okay. In, 90 and that's the one that kind of propelled them into the the spotlight because it was kind of 
new. It was a new style. It was this kind of groove speed metal. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, the style of singing was still a little bit based in the older metal, but it had a, an aggression and kind of real sharp kind of violence to it. That, quite, a, uh, quite a unique sort of sound, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. It really bit into your head. You really heard every note, everything that was played. It's really clear and well produced. In a time, uh, I think, in a time when metal bands were kind of exploding, it was becoming quite a popular genre. But then suddenly, you know, this band had a had a unique sound. They were still, you know, uh, calling themselves metal, but they were they had a unique sound. I feel. Yeah, and I think what was cool about them too, they were hard working, and but I think they had a good, they had a reputation for having fun, you know, just cutting loose and having fun, like trash, hard, yeah, yeah, stoned, drinking hard, but always for the love of the music as well. So particularly the brothers, so that's Vinny and Dimebag, and uh, they would always be, you know, they could get themselves sorted out if they had recording sessions or um, they were going to be performing. And it was in the downtime that they kind of let loose. Unfortunately, Phil had struggled a lot more with, um, I think, painkillers and opiates and uh, stuff like that because he had a lot of chronic back pain. Um, But they were known, of course, as well as Cowboys from Hell. They had vulgar display of power, Far Beyond Driven, the great Southern Trend Kill, and then Reinventing the Steel. Yeah, which I, didn't, was in I, didn't like re, I didn't like Reinventing the Steel. It was very much done separately. Like, I think uh, the okay. session, oh, I mean, not all of them. Basically, the three musicians of the band did the, the recording of all the instruments together. Right. But then I think Phil, they basically, you know, sent him to a studio and got him to <laughs> yeah. There was already a bit of bad blood by that stage, wasn't there? Yeah, so I think they'd sort of lost that that power and energy and that real nice band vibe that they had going on. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, after Pantera kind of dissolved, uh, they the brothers, uh, Vinny and Dimebag, found a damage plan and they released one uh, album with that band called Newfound Power and it was while performing as Damage Plan that... He was shot uh, on the December the eighth, two thousand and four, by a deranged, <laughs> d- disgruntled fan. Um, Pan- Pantera, and, uh, Pantera fan. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of suggestion. Unfortunately, well, I think fortunately and, and and unfortunately, they never got to ask him because he was shot dead uh, with one shot in the head by a police officer because he'd actually killed. Along with Dimebag, he killed three others. Yeah, that's and right. Wounded three as well. It was it was quite bad. Um, and he'd actually had something signed, I think, earlier in the day. Wow. Um, by him, you know, like he'd actually done something. Imagine but, how uh, imagine how much that's worth now. Whatever that was that got signed by Dimebag, and then he shot him. Imagine how much that thing is worth today. Who knows? But I mean, yeah, it's probably lost to the. Uh, lost to the ether, but yeah, so very sad story because, uh, of course, that that ended damage plan because it really was their project. Yeah, and I quite um, liked the the album. It was actually I can't remember what it was called now, but it was actually pretty cool. It's called uh, Newfound Power. Oh yeah, sorry, you said that. Yeah, it's, I, I yeah, you like it? I actually only I think Glenn showed me it uh, once upon a time quite a few years back, 
and I was a bit sort of indifferent, I think. But okay, so yeah, I quite like it. It's um, yeah, it's you know, good, had a, some good I driving had a, songs on there actually. <laughs> I had a listen to it the other day, and I was thinking, actually, I think I need to give it another another listen. Yeah, I reckon you should. I reckon you'd probably get into it. Have you seen? Um, did you end up seeing the footage of of what happened that fateful night? I think I'd seen it a long time ago. I haven't rewatched it uh, oh, okay. recently. I watched uh, not so long ago. I watched some footage. Like I, I wouldn't have watched it if it shows everything, and it sort of had said that in the little disclaimer thing. But it was more from someone backstage was filming from that from that you know behind the curtain type thing from that angle and you kind of hear everything and and then suddenly the security guards just jump in and you know sort it out sort of thing but i think even one of the security guards was uh shot shot up pretty badly but didn't die i think the, uh, the head of security was killed oh okay okay but he, it didn't hadn't he run to the defense straight away or something and then was shot at too he, he might have been, yeah, but I, I, I don't think he was necessarily included in the in the wounded. So there was a fan that was killed as well by trying to jump in and stop him. Wow. Uh, might have been another security guard as well. So the chief of security, then maybe another security guard, and then a fan. Because, um, I mean, like the thing is, like you've been in a mosh pit. I've been in the mosh pit. <laughs> and the funny thing is, and I've tried to explain this to my eldest daughter, there's a weird kind of camaraderie, isn't there, that sort of uh, you can feel it. It's like if, you, if you're stage diving or crowd surfing and you fall over, someone's quick to, you know, grab your hand and put, yank you back up again. And I've, I've never, like obviously I'm, I'm old now, but I don't, I don't get involved in the mosh pits anymore. But back in the day... Um, I never had any problems. There were never any fights or anything like that. So, so my point is, I can kind of see why the crowd reacted and were like, "Fuck you, man! Like you can't do this to us and to the band. Like we're having a good time here." So, yeah, I think I think you know they should have moshed the shit out of him. <laughs> Just deliberately dragged him out onto the floor and kept fucking circling, pitting, and diving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> way to go, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but he was, I mean, he was known for his, uh, distinctive kind of look. He always had like a, a dyed, uh, long goatee and his, and his crazy hair, but he also had his, his kind of custom guitar with the big headstock with the forked headstock and the explorer shaped body. Um, and yeah, he had this really cool, I mean, you know, I think most people who are a fan of heavy music will certainly know his particular tone, his style, it, it definitely filled the room. Like, I think even as a single guitarist in a band, it definitely filled the space. So you, you, as, a, you as a guitarist and metal guitarist, um, would you, you'd rate Dimebag as up there with, as, as a legendary guitarist as well as just a musician? For sure. Yeah, okay, cool. So he was quite a unique style in himself? Effortlessly brilliant. Yeah, cool. That's cool. And kind of had his own thing going on. Like, people have been, you know, remembering uh, Eddie Van Halen, of course, yeah. for all of his influence, and, and there's no denying that. But I think in his own way, Dimebag was, was like the heavier uh, version, really, because yeah. a lot of his, his style and his whammy bar use and his, like, pinched um, harmonics and the big screaming, wailing high pitch stuff like it's just really cool it's it's different it's got its own feel um i think uh, i think for someone called daryl 
um, he did yeah. really well in the metal scene. You know, <laughs> I think it's oh. good that everyone just know, know knew him as Dimebag. Do you know why he was called Dimebag? No, I don't actually. So well, apparently, I mean, you know, this is could be one of those things that goes down in metal folklore, but he was called Dimebag. He sort of got it as a nickname fairly early on because he would always be asking for a dime bag of weed. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> it's, it's a nickname for uh, a certain weight. Yeah, right, okay. Because you could not, you wouldn't be as, you wouldn't be fined as hard for having less than a oh, dime bag. Oh, I see. Uh, that's, so, why, that's why my nickname was always Satchel. <laughs> that's right. They call. They used to call me Big Sack. Was for the same reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, Big Sack was. Um, I used to have a. I used to have a video in the nineties when I was in high school. Still, I used to have a video of Pantera, and it was one of their infamous sort of behind the scenes, behind the yeah. tour, tour type videos, and. I used to love it. I used to just put it on and just be, and this is when we were like, you know, had our first band and I was sort of had high hopes that we, we would be touring the world and everything as well. Um, but there was a particular scene, like a particular, like when they had their little montage of photos and, and uh, yeah. little uh, video clips and stuff from fans and blah, blah, blah. There was one scene and you got to think like I'm, you know, 16, 17 year old kid. There was one scene where a girl had a bottle of drink and she was quite yeah. a pretty girl. And then she looked at the camera, like just stared into the camera, and then yeah. basically filleted the neck of the bottle. She oh. she pushed her lips over the bottle and sort of sucked the neck. And I remember as a teen being quite excited by that. And it was so quick, like it was a three-second clip, you know, but I was like, oh, I like, I like that. <laughs> Start deep-throating bottles of drink after that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone that had a long neck, I was like, I'm deep throwing the shit out of that, mate. <laughs> uh, just to um, and just to also pay a little bit more homage here because <laughs> Vinnie Paul himself, his brother, also passed. Oh, yeah, on, he did. Yeah, a few years later, was it June the twenty second, two thousand eighteen? So, well, wow. um, I think it was about fifty four, and. It was because of a dilated cardiomyopathy and coronary artery disease. What's that in uh, English? I think heart disease, basically. Oh, okay, okay. And is that is that a direct result from the hard living that you did? I'm sure it, it couldn't have helped. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's kind of sad, too, because I think they might be buried together. Um, and I think it's one of those grave sites in America where, you know, it gets a steady throng of people coming to pay their respects to, you know, their metal gods. Yeah. But that he is, went on to form, after the death of uh, Dimebag, he went on to form Hell Yeah, which was a, it was a metal band as well. I'd, I've listened to a little bit, not as not as big on that one at all. The name's stupid. I don't like the name. Yeah, Hell Yeah's a bit shit. <laughs> it's a little like Cowboys from Hell kind of thing. It's got that slight... Kind of uh, cowboy country vibe. kind of thing oh. going on, yeah. Tree metal or something, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was very sad that he also passed. So two really awesome. Well, they were a great team. They're also great musicians, and I think a really kind of vibrant presence on the uh, the metal scene. So pretty sad that they left the world. That is so sad. sad. Uh, well, we'll have a little. Uh, do you remember our friend Farmer Pickle Warren? 
I do. I do. I've been missing him, actually. Yeah, me too. We haven't heard from him for a couple of weeks, but he very kindly uh, sent in this little recording, so which I'll play now. All right, good on him. It's just a little tickle from Farmer Pickle. <laughs> Breakfast is served, a nice hot cup of tea out of a fresh brewed pot, a plate of fresh farmer pickle produce laid out banquet-like, and I switches on the old Bakerlite wireless, the tones of Chas McDevitt fill me head, and then I remember I best turn it off after this little number, as Fly On Wall podcast is coming up. And we're back in. Um, okay, Warren, I've got a bit of a little bit of a quiz for you. Um, well, I'm not going to do well there, am I? I'm going to give you a snippet of each song, right? I'm just going to sing them myself. It's not a radio. Um, and I want you to link them and understand or, or give me the answer why they're linked, these three songs, all right? <laughs> so first okay. of all, you've got La 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 Bamba. <laughs> okay. Then you've, got, <laughs> then you've got then you've got Lay's had a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down and a wiggle and a walk and a giggle and a talk. You've got that one. And then you've got <laughs> Then you've got every day it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. It, oh, I can't remember the rest. <laughs> um, well, what are those three songs? Come my way. Oh yeah. Sorry, what was that? What are those three songs? Why are those three songs linked? Hmm. <laughs> are they all from the same year? Uh, no. Okay. They're definitely you... not the same artist. I do know that much. I'll give you one more guess. Okay. Uh, the singers all passed for the same reason. Oh, um, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. They all died. Okay. All three artists died in the plane crash. The same plane crash. I was crash. gonna say plane crash. Yeah, well, you fucking should have said it, mate. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But I would say you've won say that. Thing? You've won that quiz. Okay, great. Can you say what? <laughs> no, sorry. I actually, for some reason, the second one I thought was Elvis. Oh no, no, that's a big bopper. Okay, see, I, I didn't know that much about it. I just, I, that vocal style makes me think of Elvis. So I was like thinking, well, as soon as you did this first one, I thought, hang on, I think that was a plane crash. You did that one and I thought, oh, it's Elvis. No, you didn't die in a plane crash. So I was like, that <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll try and do, because Big Bopper doesn't sound like, uh, he's more like, Chantilly Lee said a pretty. He's more like husky. Oh, okay, weird. Cool. Yeah. No, I like your version, mate. <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks. Let's um, keep your version. <laughs> So 1959, right? Yep. Um, now, you've got Buddy Holly. You've got the yep. Big Bopper, who I think his real name was... Oh, shit. His real name was <laughs> Giles. Giles. Okay. Uh, shit. It does. Uh, Giles, Giles Richardson. Josh. Giles Richards or Giles Richardson, right? That was the okay. real name. And he was and, called Big Bopper. Yeah, 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 because he was a big guy and he liked to bop. Um, and you okay. also had, um, you also had. That's what they say about me, Luke. <laughs> yeah, big, <laughs> big bopper was. Um, <laughs> That's it. And you also had Richie Valens as well, who did La Bumba and the song Donna. You know that song? 
Donna. <laughs> um, I like how you're serenading me this evening. It's yeah, lovely. yeah, it'd be a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've all, they're all touring together, right? And then uh, they jump on a plane. The weather is fucking shocking, right? They jump on a plane in Clear Lake, Iowa. And they're heading off to basically the next gig. They've they've been jumping on buses, taxi, car rides, you name it. They've done it. It's it's um, trains, planes, and automobiles um, yeah. to to on this so, tour, right? They've it's so been it's just another leg of the tour. Yeah, but it's been a frantic yeah. tour, so they're all a bit frazzled and all that kind of stuff. And uh, have you heard of Waylon Jennings, the country artist? I, I have indeed. Yes. So he was meant to jump on the plane. Um, but he sort of said, well, you know what? I don't need to be at the next place as quickly as the big bopper does. So why don't I swap seats? He can take the plane and I'll get the, uh, the tour. I'll take the tour bus with the rest of the crew. Um, and wow, what a choice that was. What a decision, which he actually, he actually, Waylon Jennings actually struggled with that. Um, for many, with the guilt of that for many, many, many. I can many understand years. that. Yep. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so 1959, the plane's taken off from Clear Lake, Iowa. Um, even the pilot, it was uh, suggested that even the pilot was sort of going, uh, well, it's really bad conditions. But there was pressure from the tour managers and stuff like that to get it going, yeah. get them back to the next spot so they can gear up and, and play the next gig kind of thing. And But lo and behold, the uh, the plane went down and... All, uh, everyone on board was killed. Now, the focus for me tonight for the for the show is uh, is Buddy Holly, who's actually my dad's all time favourite musician after his son, of course. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I only really thought he had you as a son. I didn't know he was a brother as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, if you remember, we talked about um, cloning. That's Luke too. Um, oh, Luke, too, yeah. too damn better. Yeah, he's he's like void of any personality, but an amazing, <laughs> amazing musician. Anyway, oh, great. <laughs> Buddy Holly was uh, only twenty two, would you believe? But in his was he really, I didn't know that. Yeah, but in his short, short career, I think he sort of started hitting the big time round about fifty six. So fifty six yep. to fifty nine, right? So three years, three short years. Incredible. He already had fifty tracks to his name, recorded tracks, and many of those had been like um, hit singles, like chart topping singles, which is you know like every day and. Uh, uh, um, oh, now uh, Peggy Sue, things like that. Um, okay. So he really sort of um, brought. Oh, yeah. Go on, give us a little tune. No, no, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going. <laughs> um, he really brought to the limelight the rockabilly kind of sound. Um, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, and it was very. It was back then when he first started bringing it to the forefront um, and really getting people to take notice and have a listen. Um, because, I mean, it was in an era where you've got Elvis Presley uh, um, um, and Bill Haley and the Comets and stuff like that. So there was a lot of rock and roll around, but he sort of went, mm, I like it. I like the swing of it, but I also like the country twang. And he basically combined the both. And then, you know, uh, Rockabilly was born. Um, but at first, of course, there was always the... Uh, the push, uh, you know, from religious groups and stuff saying it's the devil's music and all that kind of thing that he had to contend with. The difference was Buddy Holly was the clean-cut kind of parted hair, well-presented, glasses-wearing, goofy kid, you know? So it kind of 
it kind of slipped through um, the gates there with all the people trying to stop the music um, because he was seen as kind of a nice everyday kind of guy, which is kind of cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so incredibly sad, but yeah, he lost his life on when he was only um, 22 years old. And did you know the song American Pie by Don McLean? Yes. That's about the crash and it's about the loss of those three legends. Oh, there you bloody go, hey? And there's a song by, I can't, I think the song's actually called Buddy Holly, and it's by one of his best friends was Eddie Cochran, another uh, uh, young rockabilly artist who died too young in a car crash. Um, he wrote and, and sang a song, uh, I think it was called Buddy Holly, yeah. And in it, in the recording, it was a one-take recording, and in the actual recording, you can he- hear him break up when he go when he actually says, he says the name, Buddy Holly. And he goes, I'm always going to miss you. And like, you can actually hear the heartbreak and he was tearing up as he was singing it, which is incredibly oh, sad. Yeah, It is. It is. And then, yeah, that's, it's terrible that he was robbed of his, his life and his blossoming uh, career so early on. He was basically going from strength to strength. Like people were sort of saying he's the next Elvis. And, you know, he's he just one of those people that he put pen to paper, bang, it was a hit. You know, and just his delivery and the fact that he was just so such a, a decent guy as well. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. Actually, if, well, I'm not sure how into old rock and roll music you are, Warren, but um, you should watch Nothing the movie. Nothing like you, my friend, so you can reel off a ton of stuff and I won't have any idea what you're talking about. I was going to suggest if you've, got a, if you've got a lazy Sunday afternoon with you and your beloved one day, then you should watch the uh, Buddy Holly story with uh, Gary Busey, a, young, a very young Gary Busey playing Eddie, uh, sorry, playing Buddy Holly, and he does a remarkable job, actually. It's really, really good. Really good movie. Gary Busey does a remarkable job <laughs> yeah. of Buddy Holly. Long before he became a weirdy, beardy fucking <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's all right, the old Busey. Yeah. The last time I saw him in anything good was um, uh, Surviving the Game with Ice-T, I think it was in it, and uh, what's his name? Uh, the one, Rud- Rudger Hauer, Rudger Hauer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, that's you <laughs> know he was he was amongst the titans there, wasn't he? Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, over to you, Big Vars. Big Vars. <laughs> just quickly, um, just because you mentioned uh, Ice T, but actually, I've been listening to another metal uh, figurehead, Rob Flynn from Machine Head. Oh yeah. Uh, he has his own podcast called No Fucking Regrets. Oh, cool. I'll look that one up. <clears throat> yeah, I've been listening to it and I've been enjoying it. There's a few really great interviews. I mean, primarily I listened to one with Des Fafara from Devil Driver and Cold Chamber Fame. Oh, cool. Uh, another one with Dino Cazares from Fear Factory. Oh, yeah. And then I just listened to one with Ice T himself the other day. Ice, ice and motherfucking T, ice, ice. Actually, mother- it's a really good interview. I actually, I, I, a different kind of level of respect for the guy. Uh, just listening to that interview because I think the difference at the moment is they're not doing these highly polished, efficient, uh, journalistic interviews. Yeah, which they're is sitting much at better, home yeah. and they're having a chat. Yeah, and I like that. they're doing it from the comfort of their, you know. Well, I think Rob's in a studio, but he's, you know, he's commuting there from his home and he's going there and going back home. So it's they've got a bit more time. And you can hear it in the, in what they're happy to talk about. They're happy to share more. They're happy to dig a little deeper into the history and kind of relive it a bit. That's and cool. I, yeah, I, I've got to admit, the IC one was probably 
much more enjoyable and lightning than I would have thought it would have been for me. He's, he's done not, all right for himself, I see. He's what? He's done all right for himself. He certainly has. I think he's always come across like he knew what he wanted to do. He, yeah. he knew what he needed to do. And, I mean, yeah, they've had lucky breaks and, and everything along the way, but he and he speaks well. Like, he's a good speaker. When you, when you hear him speak and he expresses himself or talks about something that's happened, he expresses himself really well. Yeah. And I found myself interested in what he had to say. And it also gave me an appreciation for, because I guess I probably always looked at it as a bit of a fad at the time, Machine Head went through, I guess, a new metal phase where – he was using rap and hip hop style lyric delivery okay. uh, in the songs, and and it was a little more new metal at the time with the down tuning and the simplified riffs and all the rest of it. But I didn't realise that Rob was a massive hip hop fan when he was a kid. Oh, okay. And so he, yeah, he grew up with it all. He, he actually really, really loves it, and you can hear it because what he does before he does the interview, he does a little bit of an intro. And he just sort of keeps playing songs in the background, just a little snippet from a few different songs talking about the album they're from or the year it was from and a bit of a reflection. And he often knows them really well. So with the Ice-T one, when he was flashing back, he was getting so into it. Yeah, that's cool. I thought, oh, I can really hear it. There's the fanboy in him, and he's just loving it. He's (laughs) He's enjoying it just like when he was, you know, 13 or 14 years old. So... I highly recommend it for anyone who appreciates like a, a good just conversational podcast with with other music icons and people from the heavier end of things. Uh, it's really good, really enjoyable. What was it there. called again? No fucking regrets. The no podcast. fucking regrets. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely look it up because I I will definitely look up the uh, the Ice T episode as well because I'm I love all types of music as you know and um, hip hop and stuff and rap. Has hasn't been a hugely popular one with me, but I and I, no. I I find that I'm very selective with it. Like I really love the Hilltop Hoods, the Aussie crew. Um, I think they're really cool. Um, and I really actually back in the day, not so much anymore, but uh, but now listening to you talking about Ice T makes me want to dig out dig out the old CDs. Um, but isn't it funny how um, like talk about ironic? Like uh, so years ago, <laughs> uh, Ice T had a song called Cop Killer. Right. Yes. Um, And then in recent years, he's played a cop (laughs) and made a shitload of money from it. So, yeah, it's funny how things turn around like that. But uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll I'll definitely check out the episode and the podcast. Well, even his perspective on stuff like that, like Cop Killer as a song, and also what he was trying to convey, the kind of overreaction to it at the time. Yeah, And the way he expresses his thoughts on it, I mean, maybe he's changed and he's older and wiser and can kind of... Uh, he's always been switched on. He's always actually been very intelligent. Yeah, and you can hear it. You can definitely hear it in that. And the way that he kind of looks back and assesses those, he's not... He doesn't come across as completely full of himself. Yeah, I mean, there's an ego there, but it's... I don't know. I've, I found him easy to sort of listen to and, and take in what he was saying. So yeah, okay. definitely really enjoyable. And I think I've got to check out some body count. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Body count. Yeah. Body count. I've never really listened body to count. enough of it because uh, my only real uh, exposure to him was his uh, little piece with Slayer on the Judgment Night soundtrack. And he's cool that with that too. we all fucking loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you seen, um, out of interest, have you seen a picture of his wife? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have. That's all I'll I say on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For those of you that haven't, just Google I- 
those of you that haven't Google Ice T's wife. I've got her name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you fucking didn't. You just trying to play ignorant, nada. Um, okay, so so moving on from there, though, I would also like to talk about Cliff Burton. Oh yeah, yeah. Who is the basis for Metallica from? Well, basically for the first three uh, released albums, so Kill Them All, Ride the Lightning, and the awesome Master of Puppets. Um, and he he wasn't the original bassist. They had uh, Ron McGovney, which I think was one of their flatmates at the time. And they saw uh, Burton performing at a gig somewhere, and they're like, we're, we're going to have this motherfucker because he's awesome. He wore flares and he wore a lot of denim and he sort of swung his hair around like <laughs> yeah. a, some sort of crazy banshee. He didn't really, um, he didn't really fit the, the metal stereotype, did he? Not at all. I think he was more like a crazed hippie kind of looking dude. Like a stoner um, rock. But they loved what he was doing. They loved his his vibe, the, the, the things he was giving off, and his dexterity in the bass as well, of course. Yeah. Um, he made a bit of a condition to say, well, if you're going to, if you want me as part of your band, you guys have got to move up to San Francisco from LA because I don't want to fucking stick around LA. Because that was uh, at the time that glam was massive, cock rock and all that sort of stuff. And he didn't want any part of it. Whereas the San Francisco Bay Area, thrash scene was uh, a newly blossoming kind of scene and I think he kind of knew where it was at. So that's a lot of the reason why Metallica's kind of home base has always been the San Francisco area, Bay Area uh, thing. And that's where other, you know, uh, seminal, I think is the word, (laughs) thrash artists are from. There's a lot from there. And even Machine Head itself, going back to that, are from San Francisco as well. So thrash has just been something that San Francisco is known for. Um, so he was known, he played with his fingers. So he was very fast as a thrash player, but he played with his fingers. He brought a lot of melody um, and, I guess, harmony. And I think he taught the other members of the band sort of how to work them together and come up with something with many more layers That's rather cool. than just sort of an onslaught of, of sound. And you can really hear the difference where Kill Em All was essentially written, I think, leading up to him being part of the band. And then, you know, they borrowed a few things or rewrote them after Dave Mustaine left and they got Kirk Hammett, who Kirk really only started with the band literally as they started tracking and recording Kill Em All. Oh, right, okay. <clears throat> so a lot of those works were done with Dave Mustaine and the old, you know, and the old bass player old bass and player, yeah. James, yeah, James and Lars, of course. But What was uh, yeah. what was Cliff's background? Was he, like, classically trained or what's the go? How, where did, is yeah, he just a, yeah, just so a naturally he, gifted uh, musician? I think he learned a few instruments, actually. That's and, cool. Yeah, classical instruments in, in high school and beyond. And I think he'd even studied past that as well. Wow. Um, yeah, so he was very respected, I think, for his knowledge. And so he, he took he looked at things from a slightly different perspective. So as much as he was a, a thrasher, he was looking at what they could do with the music to make it more interesting, more, more clever, more intelligent. And I think that really started to shine through with Ride the Lightning and then, of course, Master of Puppets. So you really hear the bass presence. There's distinctive sounds, the way he uses the, the wire or the effects that he does have, the way that the bass really speaks uh, in itself. There's a lot of interesting sounds on there that I would never have 
you know, back when I first heard it, I never would have attributed to him. But I think it's the base. Especially, Basically, he's worked out ways to, yeah, speak with it. I think, yeah, especially for a metal band where I think yeah. sometimes the bassist might take not a backseat, but obviously, you know, you've got your front man who's usually sort of loud and colourful. And then you've yeah. got your guitarist who everyone sort of, you know, worships and, and throws the devil horns up to. But yeah. for a bassist to go, well, this is me and this is my style and I'm going to be a real standout, I think I think that's cool. That's a real credit to him. Yeah, and I guess always being ready to to push the bass as far as you could because, yeah. you know, I guess you'd be forgiven for thinking, well, because it's such a low instrument, it has a little less definition than the guitars, sort of get lost and just, you know, you're there to keep time with the drums. But, yeah, to make it kind of stand out like he did, I think is a really awesome thing. And, I mean, he's, he's got a cult status even right up to this day, and I think they're really... I respect Metallica for it. They always remember him very vividly. Yeah, that's they discuss him they they have a lot of tributes and they they talk about things they've always uh really respected his parents they've made sure that they spoke to the parents when they were going to employ a new bassist wow yeah and even when they were inducted into the hall of fame the rock and roll hall of fame they actually i think his father actually attended to receive that honorary kind of award as well as them. Oh, that's a nice touch. So, but, but, but you, you, you're skipping ahead a bit here. What happened to Cliff? So, oh, I'm just skipping around, mate. Skipping around. <laughs> <laughs> he was sadly killed in a bus crash. That was the band bus, the touring bus, in Sweden uh, on September the 27th in 1986. And they were on their tour supporting the, the Master of uh, Puppets uh, release and it slid on an icy road and tipped over. And the driver maintained that uh, it was black ice and then he skidded, lost control, and it, and it tipped over. But I think it's it's often been debated that he might have either been drunk or asleep. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so the bus tipped over. Cliff happened to be in a position where he fell out the window. Shit. And he was crushed by the bus. Fucking hell! Is it is it true that the band members dragged the bus driver out and beat the shit out of him, or not? Or is that just an urban myth? That that could be a, a story. It doesn't say that in every single thing you read. Yeah, okay. I mean, look, there, there, there was probably a lot of shouting and arguments, yeah. and I'm sure they were probably yelling at him and ask you know asking in a much more emotional way what the fuck happened. So, I mean, who knows? They might have got a bit violent, but uh, what a, James, uh, yeah, what a moment in time, like. Not only have they, you know, the other band members, they've survived a fucking bus crash, which would have been traumatic in itself, but then also to lose a friend and a fellow musician bandmate, you know, like that's going to fuck with you, isn't it? You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel devastated. You're going to be in mourning, everything, you know, that's that's horrible. I think, and this is interesting, I think it, it sort of, it's woven into the fabric of their existence as a band. I mean, as you know, I'm a big, big fan, so I do think about this more than your regular you, person. Do you like Metallica? I didn't, I didn't actually. A little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I like one or two songs. Uh, I think, I think uh, St. Anger and everything leading up to the making of that album and then Some Kind of Monster, the documentary that was ended up being made because of that whole experience, I think. 
James struggled for many reasons yeah. over the course of the band's career and was always put down as the strong, silent, you know, Hetfield God type, you know, that always was just hard, was just a hard man. But I don't think that's actually the truth. I think uh, his mum died at an early age. Then, of course, Cliff, you know, was, was taken from the, at a very young age too, 24. Wow. Um, and they're all that age. They're all 24 years old. So they're just kids just hanging out with their mates, um, really. And so to lose someone that early on in the piece that they had such a bond with and, and sort of brotherhood with, I think really damaged him, and I think that really starts to come to the fore during the making of Sananga. I think that they never dealt with it. They moved on so quickly because of uh, the pressure of, I guess, agreements with their uh, distributors and their touring and the dates that they already had pre-booked. So they basically they wanted to honour their commitment to the rest of that tour. Yeah, it would have been hard. So they hired Jason within three weeks, I think. Yeah. So as a, and that's why he always copped it, I think, as that kind of the last band member and the one who, I guess, they couldn't help but pay out on because he was not Cliff. Yeah. So the poor uh, bastard probably copped it from all angles for that. But yeah, they hired him quickly. They kept moving. They kept playing the rest of their tour after a short break, and then they started working with him, you know, on new material. So my, I don't my, think they ever gave themselves the time to fully, you know, go through the, the grief process. Yeah, my hat goes off to him for pushing ahead with that because, like, you can't help but relate it, you know, and sort of think, not that we're, not that our band was anything like Metallica, but, but you well, know. Well, you can relate to the emotions in the, in the Yeah, yeah, and, the, you know, we're all, us four boys, we're, uh, we're connected and if, like, say if we lost our, I don't even want to say his name because it makes it, but if we lost our bassist back in the day, um, yeah, and say if we were touring around, I don't think I'd be able to keep going, to be honest. I think I'd be, oh, nah, it's, it's not a band. And, I, and I'm, not, this isn't, I'm not having a dig at uh, Metallica at all. Like I said, my hat goes off to him to be able to forge ahead, but I think me personally, I think I wouldn't be able to do it. Well... I guess they looked at it, maybe, maybe at that point, maybe they they were really starting to do very well. Yeah. And I think that they were touring with Ozzy Osbourne wow. at the time. Uh, but I think that's the one that Master of Puppets was touring on. They were supporting Ozzy. So it was a big slot for them. And it was kind of that ticket to the, the really big time. And a lot of the people were rocking out more to, you know, the support band than they were to Aussie too. So yeah, yeah. it sort of tells you where they were headed. And I guess they had a whole slew of things booked ahead of them. They had commitments already in place. They had management and lawyers and things already in motion. All the gears were in motion. So I guess in some ways they probably just got drunk every night to not think about yeah, it. they got fucked up, yeah. And just turned up the next day sound checked and performed the shit out of their show and then went home, did the same thing again and probably did that for the rest of the tour and somehow just pulled through it as best as they could. And I guess if they they didn't, then, you know, we wouldn't have the Metallica that we've got today. We wouldn't have this long list of awesome songs and albums. So, you know, like I said, my my hat really does go off to them for forging ahead with that one. Would have been tough. 
And then, and Justice for All, which was, of course, the follow-up uh, full album from it that you put into your lovely uh, special episode that's out there in the world now. Um, I think that a lot of the, the technicality, the ferocity, the intensity of that album is kind of like a, a follow-on effect and also the absence of the bass. Yeah, yep. You know, I think is is all part of this whole process of them dealing with his absence. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a big one in the in the metal world, and yeah, definitely something sure. where he is still thought of in as high regard as he ever was before. I think you know, just like Dimebag, it's really looked at as one of those all time greats. Like, and what, and what you know, a legacy! Halen will be. What a legacy as well, because so he was only in the band what for four. Years is that right? If my calculations uh, are right, well, five, I think uh, I think in total was about five years after okay. he joined. I'm not entirely sure. Wow! Um, so what an impression! I the exact joint date. What an impression to make, not only on the band but obviously in all on all us fans as well. Just in that short time, that's incredible. Well, I think that's where the, you know. Yes, they were. They went universal with the Black Album, and you know they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But yeah, I think that that rise from the, the kill them all up to master of puppets which is still held in such high regard in any hard music kind of circles and a big part of that is the, the bass inclusion so it's it's one of the all-time classic albums in that genre so it's uh it's definitely made its mark absolutely uh we'll go to a uh, a bit of a break and then we'll um we'll come back it's the Fly on the Wall motherfucking podcast. Uh, if you'd like to email us, good folks at home, you can. The Fly on the Wall podcast at, no, the Fly on the Wall podcast 11 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, which is Fly on the Wall podcast with an underscore between each of those words. Uh, and on Twitter, it's at. <laughs> Uh, Warren and I just had a bit of a chat in the break. We um, we've really enjoyed this episode. We're gonna sort of we do talk to each other outside of this episode. Right? Occasionally, People? occasionally, yeah. Once um, or twice. Uh, we we're sort of thinking this has been a great little episode. We don't really feel like going into um, our other uh, <laughs> segments <laughs> like what would you do if because you know we don't really feel like being silly because we've had a nice little chat about musicians that are past and it's been cool we will be doing a part two next week I also just want to uh, quickly reference what Warren was talking about a moment before I did a little special for Warren so if you want to find out why I love Warren big was <laughs> so much then listen to the episode before this one entitled and big was for all, and you'll find out why. <laughs> I also, uh, also, you mentioned a podcast before, the Rob Flynn one, the uh, No Fucking Regrets. I also want to make mention of a, a brand new podcast that's out there in the world by our friend Mystery and Mayhem. You know her, Warren, on Instagram? Oh, I do. She, she started one, did she? Yeah. Um, uh, so oh, her yeah. real name's Emily, and she has a friend. I've forgotten the friend's name. I'm sorry, but but they have a podcast called Meatloaf and Murder. It's a tr- it's a true crime podcast, and of Brilliant. course, there's a bazillion and one uh, true crime podcast out there, but none of them 
talk about food as well. So they have this little intro where they'll, the first thing they talk about is some food. And they've brought, like when they get together to record their podcast, they have a meal. They ha- and, the, and the one I've listened to, they had a meatloaf, which is really kind of cool. And they talk about that. And then they start talking about murder. <laughs> Excellent. So it's quite I like a, that because, because it makes it, I don't know, it kind of sets a different scene maybe. Now I could, they're both Southern girls um, and I could listen to their accent all day, every day. Emily's actually got a really sweet Southern voice, like like a, what do you call it? Like a Southern Belle type voice, you know? And um, and yeah, she, she's, she's quite funny. They're both quite funny. And uh, my favourite quote, I've already e- uh, emailed or DM'd her on this, but my favourite quote from the first episode that I listened to um, was, uh, bacon makes everything better. And I... <laughs> So, I <laughs> we live cool. by that mantra, don't we, Luke? Yeah. So, so I just wanted to shout out to them and and you know let people know to go and I think they've got about three or four episodes published now. Um, Meatloaf and Murder, another indie podcast just like ours. So go out there and support it. They've got their Instagram as well. So go and look that up and uh, yeah, get behind them, guys, because it's going to be a good one. Um, and another true crime podcast that I've just discovered actually. Uh, which I think you'd like, Warren, is called, um, oh, what's it bloody called? Hang on, i just got to quickly look it up. Uh, it's called... Oh, <laughs> well, I will be listening to uh, Meatloaf and Murder tomorrow, I reckon. I think I'll give it a listen tomorrow. Yeah, oh, it's called... Uh, you've told me? It's called Sword and Scale, and it tackles some of the, oh, like, creepier, more psychotic kind of true crime and what I like is it really goes into depth with the cases and like a recent episode um, they just actually had a whole episode about psychopaths which was incredibly interesting so the and psychopathy just the everything behind psychopathy is actually pretty creepy because I think maybe you and me are psychos Warren (laughs) (laughs) according to according to this podcast but um yeah it would be reasonable to suggest that yes so we've uh, yeah I've really enjoyed this episode Big Vars and um you know we we've we've still got our little segments uh, to do later on in other episodes but for now I think with part 1 and part 2 we're just going to keep things simple and just keep having a chat about some musical legends that are no longer with us what do you reckon Yep sounds good mate sounds great So we're going to be serious people <laughs> it is from time to time uh, so that's it technically it from us uh I've been Luke <laughs> and I've been Big Voss. <laughs> Would you like to introduce the outro song for today's show, Warren? Okay, well, we were just talking about a, a Mr. Cliff Burton of Metallica fame, and he did a very popular little piece called uh, Anas. Oh, now I can never say it. And an Anamnesia, I don't know. It's called Pulling Teeth, and it was on Kill 'Em All, and it's a really awesome piece of music. And we have a little live recording of a version of it to play as our outro today. So have fun, take care, look after yourself. Are you ready to get your teeth pulled? Are you ready to do it, Cliff? Mr. Cliff Burton, all right. (laughs) 